0: Trigger warning, this podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode.
1: So when I was thinking about lying down, I thought, I'm not going to give these guys the satisfaction of shooting me in the back and getting away easy with it. And um, I want my dad to be able to identify my body easily because mom had just died. And so I didn't want my dad to have to go through that. I, I guess the, those two aren't relevant, but that's what it brings, brings up.
2: Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast.
2: Yes. I'm excited for today. This is our second episode.
0: It is. It is.
2: Yes. How are you feeling with the podcast releasing?
0: I feel great. I think, and I love this episode because John is so funny. His story is very tragic and traumatic, but it's also, we have a laugh in this one, which is really nice to have.
2: Yes. It's really funny because some people, you can totally just joke, laugh, have fun, talk about their trauma in an interesting way and some people you have to be a little bit more sensitive and sure you know just tiptoe around things because you want to be appropriate to every person if that makes sense
0: absolutely and i think that's one of the things when doing this type of true crime content we can all relate as survivors of violent crime of, of in this true crime genre and we're allowed to talk this way. We're allowed to laugh and make jokes. And some people are very judgmental about it, but it's our trauma that we're processing and we're allowing a space where other people can do that. And if we wanna have a laugh, we can have a laugh. If we wanna have a cry, we can have a cry. I get plenty emotional in our later episodes with different guests and, and, and I turn on the waterworks. So it, you know, we, it, it is a space to do and share how we wanna share our stories and how our guests yes. wanna share their stories.
2: Yes, you should be able to be authentic on here and be 100% you. And I honestly, I have, (laughs) I'm having a little bit of trouble containing myself because I'm really antsy to get into today's episode.
0: (laughs) Yes, our guest today is John Fink and he has an incredible survival story out of, he, he was in New Orleans, right?
2: Oh, yes. He was down there having a good time until some stuff happened
0: until some some stuff happened for sure
2: yeah so let's get into it let's do it Thank you so much for coming on, John. We're so excited to have you.
1: Yeah, man, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Well, why don't you start to tell us about your survivor story and the day that everything happened to you?
1: Okay. Um, well, at risk of getting into too much detail, I'll get a, I'll get a, I'll give a very short rendition to start with. Okay. Um, about twenty years ago. I was in New Orleans visiting a friend who was in a play and I was only there for three nights and I saw his play. And then the next night I went out to get food. And um, the only thing that I would point out is that uh, there was no party, no Mardi Gras, no Southern decadence, no Halloween. I was just there and there was the city was dead. And I went to go get some food in the French Quarter and i noticed a car idling nearby and you know the streets are very narrow i don't know if you know the french quarter but the streets are super narrow there absolutely and i thought i'm gonna turn at the next corner because i felt wrong and suddenly two guys got out of the car both had guns they mugged me on the street they told me to get down and they told me to count to i don't remember 20 and um they uh got back in their car and i found out later that they were arguing about killing me uh because i could identify them wow. this is because they got caught and they they taped their um their admission so uh they got out of the car ran back at me with the guns put me in the car and i'll say something about that later for all of the well-meaners who say well you're not supposed to get in the car um and uh they drove me out to the ninth ward again it's a very poor section of new orleans i don't know if you know ninth
0: ward. very familiar
1: oh okay yeah so the ninth ward and there was a place where the police later told me that they dump bodies all the time they find bodies there and the guys pulled me out of the car went through my pockets laid me in the grass and um i remember lying down on my back, because I was not going to let them shoot me in the back. And they uh, asked me for my PIN number. What's your PIN number, dog? You missed your fucking PIN number. And then the gun went off. And he was holding the gun about a foot from my face. And so when I got shot, I didn't know where I got shot and I didn't know what happened. So the bullet went in my neck. I found out later the bullet went in my neck. Ricocheted around, broke three vertebrae, bruised a lung, and um, bruised the spinal cord, and that's why I was paralyzed for a week. But I thought that I was killed. I thought that I was just going to die. So they took off, and I just laid there, and um, I tried screaming. I I can't scream, so I just made a moose sound, and um, the police about i pulled out my phone they didn't take my phone i put it in another pocket that night and the uh paramedics police fire truck everything pulled up about 45 minutes later after i had used my elbows to pull myself to the road we turned off on i was finally able to give them a street sign and um, i could feel the bones crack rubbing against each other and burning um But they finally found me 45 minutes later and i was in the hospital for a week there they caught the guys i had to go back and testify three months later i was wearing a body brace and um that's kind of the basics of the story
2: wow well thank you
1: absolutely thank you
0: wow um (laughs) You know, something that just came to my mind is the fact that you could actually feel what you were just saying. You could feel the bones rubbing like that to me just sounds, I mean, you know, obviously I know, I know that you can able, you're able to walk, you're a dog walker, right? And, you know, this yeah. story has, you know, at least you're not paralyzed. I mean, I wouldn't call it a happy ending, but a happier ending when you're alive, right? Sure. Yeah. I just, um. But you know i think also the thing that strikes me is when you said you would not lie you lied down with your back on the ground you wouldn't you wouldn't face the ground yeah and, and i in that moment i think instinctively you what were you thinking you were just like your you know you knew that they didn't have the the stones to to kill you to your face you well the
1: a couple of things happened there one thing happened that was Well, my mom had died eight months before that. And so I was kind of in a deep depression and the shooter was driving the car and the accomplice, who they both had guns. I think I said that the accomplice was holding the gun in my rib in the back seat. And he said, I'm sorry about your mom, dude, because I I said, come on, you guys, just let me go. I'm I'm depressed. I'm not going to report you. I'm not going to even call the police. And he wound up getting a lighter sentence than the shooter. Um, But uh, when when they pulled me out of the car, I remember thinking, if they take my driver's license, I have no ID and my dad is going to have to identify my body by my teeth. That's what was going through my mind. And... So I said, please just let me keep my driver's license. You guys can't use that for anything. And they, the accomplice again said, yeah, here, you can keep your driver's license, which again helped him to get a lighter sentence. So when I was thinking about lying down, I thought I'm not going to give these guys the satisfaction of shooting me in the back and getting away easy with it. And um, I want my dad to be able to identify my body easily because mom had just died. And so I didn't want my dad to have to go through that. i I guess the, those two aren't relevant, but that's what it brings brings up.
0: I mean, they're, they're very relevant. I mean, man, yeah. i just I'm getting emotional just thinking about this because that just takes so <laughs> that just takes so much courage to just to like, I think that it, <sighs> I think the thing that a lot of people, when they find themselves as victims of violent crime or in a situation that's like that is, you know, first of all, you don't know what you're going to do. And I think some people, you know, we have an instinct to like roll over and play dead or you just wish you're not there. And then some people have this, these, this sort of extra step. I mean, Tara is one of those people, right? Where mm. you go, it's not going to be on, it's not going to be on your terms, buddy, you know, or motherfucker. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be on my fucking terms, and if you're gonna if you're gonna actually shoot me, I'm going to make you look at me.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: you're gonna to have to nut up, and and really, you know, and and you're gonna to have to, you're gonna to have to do this and pull the trigger. Uh, you you're talking about the bullet ricoch- ricocheting? Like, how did like did it ricochet off the the concrete, or what did they end up saying?
1: Well, the the bullet went in. It went in like right here in my neck, like where my neck meets the shoulder, uh-huh. and um, and I thought it had passed through me because they were using a twenty two, and I didn't I didn't know that at the time, so I thought it had enough power to go through. But because it was a twenty two it was such a weak caliber that that's why it ricocheted, and um, I could feel after they left, I could feel blood dripping down my back. But I thought that was from a hole that had gone the second hole. There was no second hole, so the bullet just ricocheted around and it bled and dripped down my over my shoulder and down my back. Um, yeah, that's that's wow. what I found out later.
0: Wow! <laughs> I mean, what luck! I get yeah. like, shot with a you know because I'm thinking because even what you're telling me, I'm like, what did he get shot with that he did that it didn't just blow your neck apart? It was a twenty-two. I mean,
1: (laughs) yeah. And they—I found out that they borrowed guns from a local amateur arms dealer, and they returned the guns after they shot me. They did not. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so that's why you were thinking about. Okay, so hold on. So just because I'm a filmmaker, I'm a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. And you be at the start of this conversation, you said I thought about making a documentary slash comedy. Like, this sounds like a Carl Hiaasen novel. Do you know who Carl Hiaasen is? I don't. I don't know. So he wrote this series of books. This is like totally off topic, but very, it it just, it's, uh, but it's actually on topic because he wrote a series. He wrote a bunch of books, like one's called like Lucky You. I think one's called Man Bites Dog or something. There's a ton of them. And basically they're, they all take place in the South and mostly in Florida. And they're all about petty criminals that fuck everything up. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's like amateur night from from jump street like in lucky you they're gonna go steal a lottery ticket from a lotto winner and kidnap this person and like get the lotto ticket and turn it into like it's it's just these crazy harebrained schemes so this sounds like right <laughs> right in that same vein of a carl hyacinth novel
1: oh that sounds that's funny oh, well they did they were high
0: yeah yeah exactly of course they were and let, let's go borrow guns from our bur- from our arms dealer buddy and then returned the mean, oh god
1: yeah yeah that's um that's kind of what it was like and they they blew it because if they were going to kill me they shouldn't have taken off and and run after that one shot they should have stayed there to finish the job so they wound up getting aggravated assault with a deadly weapon Luckily they got that instead of attempted murder, but um they left me to report it all and conf- and um tell the story.
0: So what okay, so so the police come and they find you uh after you've you've crawled your way to the you said the road, right? Yeah. Ninth yeah. Ward ninth ward just to sort of paint the picture. That's what ninth ward is where all like they, they call the shotgun houses.
1: Yeah,
2: Wait, yeah. Is, is that the like place in Your Honor. Have you seen the show, Your Honor? That's
0: yes, That's the Ninth Ward. That's the Ninth Ward. Okay.
2: Shotgun houses. okay.
0: I don't know if they're in the Ninth Ward in, in that show, but like those style of houses, they're called shotgun houses where they can shoot right through to the back okay. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ninth ward. Not a nice area.
1: <laughs> no, it was scary. I was by a canal. There were no buildings, so I couldn't tell them on the phone. I yeah. couldn't tell them where I was. I just said, I'm by a canal. And they said they could hear, um, like ship horns in the distance. So they knew I was by a wharf or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's like close to the port. That's, I mean, that's insane. And you were visiting from California.
1: Yeah. My friend was in a a play there and I went to see him in the play. And then one of the things that the guys asked me in the car now, now the details start coming out. Um, they were, um, they were driving so erratically that I I was scared the car was going to flip over. But I also thought of grabbing the accomplice's gun and shooting the driver through the back of his seat, like in Terminator Two or Three or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I thought, well, I'll just kill myself because the car will flip.
2: Yeah. So
1: um, the uh, what was my point there? The um,
0: but you the, wouldn't uh, have killed it because the twenty three wouldn't have gone through seat probably yeah
1: you're you're, you're probably right this i had no idea. idea
0: yeah if I mean, you're talking 20 years ago those seats were made out of and it's probably it was like car from the 90s and those seats were constructed with a lot of metal and you know a 22 caliber yeah you know it's gonna. Kind of, you know I, look i grew up in ohio we shot guns we shot guns in ohio but, <laughs> but you know it, it, it you know 22 is like you know, it it you would just pierce his back and it would hurt, but it you know, so you're lucky that that did. I mean, just all the the way to me, I'm just sort of. I apologize for my jovial sort of tone, but it's it's kind of, it's like you, you could have picked a better situation
1: because no, you survived. You're you're right. <laughs> I, I think experience. my they, point was is that they. My point was is that I was thinking of everything you could think of. My mind was racing in the car trying to think of how because they were asking things like, what time do your friends get back? Where where, where are you staying? And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to get them to ambush my friends, yeah. you know, um, at the Air, the it wasn't Airbnb at the time. It was just a and b that yeah, we were staying yeah, at. Yeah. But, um, And I thought, God, do I why don't say you have AIDS, say you have AIDS and they'll be scared to get blood on them. Like that's what was going through my head, my mind. Yeah.
2: Well, I love your survival thoughts coming up and I just love everything that you did to be honest because you really calculated your chance of survival in each situation and the part where at the end like was actually your best part of survival in a sense um well like I say they say something about like when you're grabbed but like these two high dudes might have shot you then and there too because they were high.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I made the mistake like I love my father, he he passed away too since, but my father, I took him, he's a LAPD captain.
2: Okay. And
1: I made the mistake of I took him there to um to Jazz Fest and I showed him the spot where I was abducted and I made the mistake of asking him you know what would you have done and he said oh i would have run those those guys were punks they weren't going to shoot you and i'm like they did shoot me (laughs) (laughs) like what part what where at what point did you think they weren't going to shoot you they they both had guns you know so it wasn't like you could like bob faint and weave so
2: yeah
1: um yeah and that that really bothered me when he said that but um
0: well, I mean, um, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback, right?
1: That's that's right. And like you guys, you've already said it. You know, um, I think Tara said it. Nobody nobody knows what's going to happen, what they're going to do in that situation. Oh, right. yeah. in, in you guys' situations, nobody knows what they're going to do until it happens.
2: Yeah. Well, and then it's interesting, too, that you say that you felt your ribs and stuff. And I know Collier said this earlier, but like, count, going back to my attack – there was like a point where I hit the floor and I was being stabbed in the ribs and I felt like it was being punched. So that's a bit different, but like when you're on the pavement, that's when I feel like you feel a lot of stuff, at least for me. Like mm-hmm. I felt, I felt my shoulder, I felt everything on the pavement. And I like going back and like thinking back, I just like, my body cringes because it can feel it now so i apologize that that's happening to you too
1: it's no you're right um when i was uh, when they put me on the pavement in the french quarter i was all i was thinking was this is so ridiculous i'm being mugged in the french quarter i yeah. wasn't scared yet i thought while they were in the car arguing i looked at their license plate and i was memorizing the license plate thinking i'll um this is what i'll tell the police but when they came back and they both had the guns and they said, get in the car. And I thought, well, I'm not going to run because they're going to shoot me.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, that's when my blood went to ice water. That's when I, I felt myself get get cold. And it stayed like that until they pulled me out onto the um, the grassy little hill next to the canal. and And so what you're saying is, yeah, I agree with that. I was on the ground. And... It was it was terrifying to be lying there face up, knowing that you're going to die, just waiting to find out how you're going to die. You know, I, I agree with that.
2: Well, I'm so thankful we're here and, you know, so sad that we had to experience that. But that's what makes us badasses here.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah.
0: It's so wild to me. So, I guess, my, what, so what? So, you obviously testified at the trial of these guys, and you said they did they book them for attempted murder or was ended up being manslaughter or assault or
1: it, it ended up being aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Got it. So, they couldn't prove that they were killing me or trying to kill me. Um, yeah. Because they, you know, did one shot and took off.
0: Yeah, they just yeah, they didn't know what they were doing, clearly. Was this so on that note, was this the first time they ever committed a crime of this magnitude, like a kidnapping and a and, and, and getting guns and, and was it?
1: Well, they had the the part that I do know is that they had mugged a courier that morning. Okay. Um, so that courier, they didn't hurt him they threatened him and he was able to give part of their license plate too, which is why my testimony with his testimony helped them be found.
0: Wow. So they were just like, hey, let's make a day of it. Let's be criminals.
1: Yeah, I think that's what happened. They were very young. They were 19 and 20. Oh, wow. And do you know what ever happened to them? The shooter got... The shooter who was, his name was Otis. He got 19 years and he was out in 16 and the accomplice turned state's evidence against his friend and they were best friends growing up and he got seven years and they're, they're both out now.
0: It's interesting because when you're telling me that, like that seems like a long time for those charges, I would, you know, Tara and I often, when we talk to people, you know, and, and I just, I, I was even just talking about this with my, you know, I, I often, because my father's trial happened in 1990, right? Uh-huh. There was no time, like, it, it, you know, I knew my father murdered my mother. It was 25 days of me working with police, yada, 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 all that stuff, right? I won't get into that. But I think about like the way that the laws have changed and the politics of all of it and the lawyer games that are played and i would think that something like that now to say to have a 19 year sentence and serve 16 seems yeah. something that would almost be utterly fanciful these days i'm not i'm not saying that he didn't deserve it but it but it would seem like with the, no, I know and the overcrowding saying. and all of that that it seems like wow they they really did serve their sentence like that's
1: yeah, yeah know, it's it, kind of it's kind of amazing and i remember i threw out my short-lived time working with the justice system in new orleans i had five district attorneys working on my case and i mean not uh, sequentially not at the same time sure. and um i remember all of them saying oh because i could never reach anybody there was no voicemails or anything and no emails and they said oh honey we operate on a slow boil here you're right <laughs> So you just have to get lucky and get somebody to pick up the phone.
2: Oh wow!
0: Yeah, it's a it's a whole it's a whole different world nowadays when you think about this. So this was when or so early two thousands. Obviously, this is pre Katrina. I think you
1: said. Yeah, this was I think 20, 2002.
0: Got it. So they would have just they would have recently gotten out, or the or the second the the guy who got the the bulk of the of the sentencing, like, he would have just gotten out you know a few years ago I'd imagine yeah
1: yeah I remember now I know better but at the time because I was in trauma and my my um I was wearing a body brace for I don't remember almost a year as as the spinal cord healed and the bones healed um but I remember thinking they're going to come and get me they're going to come and get me to make sure I don't testify (laughs)
0: of course my friend who
1: was a district attorney up north said they don't have the means they're not they they're not going to come and get you so don't worry about
0: it yeah it's not the mafia but 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 it doesn't discount your very real feelings I mean I I, you know Tara and I were talking about the other day like my mother was murdered on New Year's Eve and every year like New Year's Eve I always wake up at the same time when I heard her murder and all this stuff and I actually was telling another survivor like a few months ago, like, Oh, I don't really have those recurring dreams anymore. Other than that, I seem to wake up at that same time every year. Yeah. But I, I had a dream the night before that where I thought my father was coming into my room and I was totally terrified for a good 30 seconds. So I think that one of the things is, is, you know, you talk about your father, being there at the scene of the crime it was LAPD officer, you know, served and you know, saying, Oh, you could have just run or whatever. But I also feel like a lot of people, you know, will say, Oh, well, why would you think that? That's just completely ridiculous. Why would you think a petty criminal is gonna come and get you? Because it's really easy to say that. You're like, oh well of course, like, oh, they're gonna shoot you with the twenty like you don't know that. But also when they don't go through trauma like that, they don't, um they don't understand the very real effects of that. And that of course you're, you've been traumatized. Yeah, How do you not think that like, even though, even though it might sound completely ridiculous, even though in my 30 years later, in my state of living in Santa Monica, California, my father is incarcerated in a prison in Ohio. Mm. I still had this very real fear that he was coming in my room to kill me. You know what I mean? And I and it's sure. like a snap out of it, but it was hard to shake because rationally I'm going, that doesn't make any sense. But like you just your body, you, you know, there's a there's a book that Tara, you know, always tells me I should read and she tells it to a lot of people, her coaching clients, the body keeps the score, right? Oh yeah. And its very Oh, I've heard of that. that. Yeah, it's very much that of just you you experience that. You you still hold on to those you those memories, the uh the epigenetics of it all, right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that it's so common to think that someone's going to come after you if they've done something to you, because like even my attack, I was like, you know, I know John is brain dead and stuff, but is he has a friend out there? Does is there someone out there that's going to come after me too? And when I talk to so many survivors, that's always their thought, to be honest, that's I've never talked to a survivor that hasn't had that thought.
1: Sure. Like they came after you once. Why can't they come after you again? You have no reason to think otherwise.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: I remember being jumped in Hollywood five years ago now, and it was really scary. And I remember, and I was intoxicated at, at the time. I mean, everybody was, it was right. It was the same day as Charlottesville. So it was rioting and everybody was blood was up and you, you get a white guy walking down Ivar and, you know, two o'clock in the morning and whatever. And I got jumped by two different sets of people. But I remember cause I was with a girl and I want to make sure she was okay. And I was going to go back in again and to, to find these guys to try to find her, make sure she was okay. And this valet grabs me like right in front of Trejo's tacos and he yanks me back and he goes, man, don't go in there. They're going to fucking kill you. Don't go back there. And then all of a sudden, it oh, comes up and she's right there. And I just dove in the Uber and we left because they were rioting and they were, you know, and uh, and they were coming after me and it was just, I was wild. And, uh, you know, you just, you you're, you think about those moments in your life And and, you know, I got home and I was all busted up, right? I mean, I defended myself, you know, five guys. That's a lot of people to take on. And, you know, at the time I was boxing and stuff. So it wasn't like, you know, But I I got away, you know, but a friend of mine said, well, you know, why don't you you go to the police? I said, I said, man, I said, for what? I said, I, you know, I walked away. Like I lived to fight another day. Yeah, I'm busted up or whatever, but like, I'm okay. Like I I survived. Like I don't, uh, I'm not going to go put myself through that and then try to find guys. And my friends were like, you know, we're going to find these people. We're going to, I was like, I I don't care. Like you will live to fight another day. I think you walk away and just go, okay. And uh, I ended up just, just to, just to sort of satisfy my own, you know, curiosity. I type in that location and I'm like, you know, jump, you know, muggings, this, that, and the other, I found that somebody was stabbed to death three months prior, same spot.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's not I go there. I walked out of a
0: club, got into an argument, got into this, like an argument with somebody, boom, got stabbed dead. And I was just like. I mean, you, you call that a win, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And uh, it's something that's just, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for, but I still think about that, you know? And I, I remember having a moment like, well, what if they knew who I was? Because I remember talking to somebody in a club and I gave him my business card because I was a CP or whatever. I'm like, well, he has my information. And what if they find me or something? And I'm thinking, okay, well, not, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything. You know what i mean so like and but you you're you sort of as a trauma victim you go through those scenarios you play out in your head oh
1: right? yeah
0: and i think you're always going to kind of do that and again it's very easy for people to go oh there's no way they're going to do that but you're like yeah but you weren't there man like yeah
1: and yeah. and and i i went the first time i went back was three months after the incident and i was in wow. new orleans back in the courtroom with a body brace not back in the courtroom i was in the courtroom back in a body brace and um i didn't even realize i was sitting two people away from the accomplice there was a voir dire for a trial before mine and when they called our people we all stood up and i looked over and i was like that's the fucking guy who held the gun in my ribs Wow. And I, I remember because it was so soon after it, I was freaking out and I got on the stand and I had to say, because they wanted to make sure that I got the identification right, that I wasn't picking two, two people who were innocent. Yeah, And I had to stand up and I had to say, he did it and he helped him. And I had to stand and point them out. And I remember the shooter, the guy who shot me was, he looked at me like he would do it again. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember thinking, "Fuck
2: this!" this part yeah,
0: of my friends, right? Yeah. Wow. wow. I mean, it's just it's. it's uh, I mean, I'm just very grateful that you're alive and you're walking and you're healthy. And um, oh, thank you. That's, that's that's the best part of the story. Uh, so, so what happened after this? So you go to the trial, they get convicted, and then you you gain some media attention from this. Like, how did that play out?
1: The only media attention I got from it was about a year later I was on the Jenny Jones show. Okay. And um I don't know you guys seem pretty young so I don't, you remember Jenny Jones?
0: Sort of, I don't, you know, I didn't really well, Tara definitely doesn't. I No, I, Tara, sorry. She was blonde. She was blonde and Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was, was
1: it so. was one of the daily talk shows. Yeah. And oh. um I had to go on and um uh they played part of my nine one one call. They played the beginning and the end, and again, the call was forty five minutes long, and I don't remember what happened in the forty minutes in between. Okay. but uh, they uh they brought out my nine one one operator. I got to hug her, give her flowers. Okay. That was a nice reveal and um later we later became friends. I went back to New Orleans and took her family out to dinner.
0: Oh, that's uh, so sweet That's
1: so yeah it was sweet. cool um and then. She had some sort of scandal and she wound up being fired from her job and that was when we were making the documentary. So we were getting all of these juicy interviews lined up and um, we found out that the public defender that was representing the accomplice was falsifying drug reports for money and extorting money from her clients.
2: Oh, wow. And they had a...
1: <laughs> I know, it was crazy, but they all agreed to interview. So we were like, this is so juicy. And That um,
2: is juicy.
1: Um, we were going to make a... Did you the interview? Com- the comedy part of it was we were going to make a... You know, for all of the people that tell you, A, you're not supposed to get in the car, you know you never get in the car, and B you never hand them your wallet. You're supposed to throw your wallet. Um, we were going to do a kind of a, a martial arts dojo where they had a mock-up of a car door that you're just not, everybody's lined up pretending not to get into it. And <laughs> and um, <laughs> with another exercise where you toss your wallet across the room and run, you know, just for people who think that they know better.
2: Yeah, I love that are you going to still do it
1: or no because we had all of these interviews lined up and and the 911 call we had lined up and the Jenny Jones stuff we had lined up and then Hurricane Katrina hit and dispersed everyone around the country
0: oh wow, so we, oh, wow. we
1: gave up <laughs> man we had lunch with the we had lunch with the producers of cops they were going to do a segment on my story and that night we went home and saw on the news that Hurricane Katrina hit.
0: Going wow. so
2: out
1: of the water, so to speak. Oh, well, that's wow.
2: a bummer, but I feel like stuff can always get revived, right?
1: Well, I have a good I have a good attitude about the thing. It's not it's not like it freak, freaks me out to talk about it. And sure. I'm always about finding the humor and stuff. So find out what's funny about it and Point that
0: out. Well, but that that's the thing, too, is that, you know, Tara and I often talk about this with other survivors is that the humor is the part of is the part of the healing. And a lot of people don't understand it. You know, I, I make a joke about it because my mother had sort of a sardonic sense of humor. Yeah. And she, and she had said the night that she was murdered, my father was driving up the driveway and she could see my his mother. In the passenger side, who she was very close with, with my grandmother, and she said, "Oh, he brought his mother with him, so he can't kill me tonight." And that was the night that he murdered her. You oh know, my God. mother used to say, "My mother used to say to me, growing up, famous last words." Well, those were famous last words for sure.
1: I, with your permission, I laugh.
0: No, it's like, <laughs> no, she would find such humor in it, and she would find like I, I guarantee that she just would be like. Of course, of course, that's what happened. You know, I mean, obviously she knows that I'm okay. And I think that would have been her, that would have been her main concern, obviously, but she, she would have found humor in that for sure. I can say with full confidence that she would have been like, oh, well, there there we go.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh.
0: So it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's interesting just the way we cope because I think a lot of people, to, again, you know, you have those Monday morning quarterbacks, but you also have people that, <clears throat> that just don't understand it, that just think it's wrong to yeah. to have a sense of humor or, or lightness about it. And it's like, what else are we going to do? What are we going to do sit here and cry and cry in our beer and wallow in our, you know, and, and not move on with our lives. The sad thing is, is a lot of people do. You know, a lot of people, this affects them to a point of where they – you know, they don't grow or they don't heal or they turn to a, you know, a life of drugs, crime themselves, whatever it may be. Right. Self-destruction.
2: Yeah.
0: Then I think about like, you know, it's interesting. So the one guy serves seven years, the other guy serves 16 of 19. Do you ever wonder what happened to them?
1: Oh yeah. I, I forgot to mention this. Um, Part of the documentary was the um, victim offender dialogue program. Okay. Okay we um we uh, worked with a couple of psychologists to it's usually for the victims of uh the survivors of murder victims yeah um but i had arranged to meet the shooter wow. and i was going to try to film that but they wouldn't let me film it and i said i've got there's got to be a way to get cameras into the prison there's just got to be a way and it was right around the time that they um Eileen Wornos video documentary came out. Okay. You know, and what's his name? Uh, I wrote to him and he wrote back to me, uh, the documentarian that did Eileen Wornos in prison. Um, or you know what I mean? Worked with her. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, they, they finally said, okay, we've gone back and forth enough times. Here's, you can, you can go meet him. And I said, awesome. And it turned out that he didn't remember me. Oh, and that I'll give you guys my honest feeling that screwed with my mind. When I thought that this guy who was going to take me out of this life or planning to didn't even remember doing it really messed with me. Um, plus the fact he owed me 26 more dollars And I wasn't about to spend money on a hotel room or a flight.
0: You know, it's interesting you said that because I talk about when I was trying to sort of, when I was going through my sort of process of making the film and trying to understand and you know, Does my father not remember murdering my mother and things like that? I've, I've since come to the conclusion that my father's a psychopath. I think many people have and, and a narcissist and all those things. So uh, of course, that's the case there. But I think that for a long time, I said to myself, you know, I accept if he doesn't remember something because I always think about that scene with Meet Joe Black. You ever seen Meet Joe Black way back in the day, Claire Forlani? Yeah, it's been so hit. long. It's, it's just- such an old movie, but it, 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 I'm sure there's a more recent Uh, reference of American cinema. I could, I could reference, but I I can't pull it out of the the ether right now Uh The scene where he meets her and then he leaves and they separate on the street and then he walks across the street and gets hit by a bus and then he comes back and he doesn't even know her. Right. And you know, I think it's, there's an element of fantasy he's reincarnated or whatever it might be. Right. But I think about that, like if you get hit by a bus or something tragic or traumatic happens, your brain almost doesn't even process what happened. Like you might not even remember what you ate for breakfast that morning. Right. So uh-huh. I almost feel like a way where I don't think your guys were psychopaths or, or so they're just morons. Like really, they're just idiot criminals. They were are yeah. they high and whatever, really stupid. And maybe part of it is that they just blocked it out, that they just don't remember you because they just, it's such a, you know, their psyche is so scarred from like, I actually tried to take someone's life and then I, Failed and thank God I did because I would be in even worse, you know, shape than I am now. And I think they maybe just black it out. So it doesn't even surprise me that he didn't
1: remember you. You know, when you put it like that, I wish that I had had the wherewithal to see it that way at the time. Sure. Um, uh, Because you're right. I think that they were punks and they were so young and they were punks and they botched it. It was a mugging gone wrong and um, they didn't even kill me right. So yeah, I agree. I, I think you're right.
0: I mean, look, I'm always the perpetual optimist, right? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I'm always like the guy who's living. I'm the, you know, I'm the kid whose dad stopped, you know, after murdering his mother stops at his doorway of his bedroom, the, the door is open. And, you know, something is telling me don't look up and I don't look up, right? Because I know if I had gone like this, you know, and looked up, that uh i wouldn't be here today because it's just it's 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 very easy to make the hole just a little bit bigger to throw the other body in and say yeah she ran away with my son i don't know what happened you know and so i just kind of look at it always with the rose colored glasses you know whether that's a good or a bad thing i think it's a good thing but i'm always saying you know like on the flip side like well you know i almost look at the situation, like you survived, you now have this harrowing experience, which has really, you know, made you who you are and Mm -hmm. shown you that. I mean, just even again, like back to the initial part of the conversation when you were like, I'm not going to roll over. You're going to, you're, if you're going to kill me, you're going to have to, you're going to have to look at me when you do it. Mm -hmm. And to someone who's like, you know, a a, a cold-blooded killer or mob, you're like, okay, yeah, no problem. Like they don't, but to somebody that has this, Pause of like, what am I doing? You know, it it seems like it it's a situation that was actually it wasn't beneficial. Don't get me wrong, but in in the worst possible of scenarios, it couldn't have gone in a better way for everyone involved because they didn't kill you, which would have completely destroyed. you would have been dead, which would have completely destroyed your life. Yeah, wrecked your father, and then would this the tragedy would have confounded. I mean, one of the things that I always talk about with my story and sharing it is the consequences and collateral damage of violence, right? That we don't think about what our actions do, because those kids have mothers and fathers and probably sisters and brothers and friends and lovers and yada, yada, right? Maybe even kids, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that are all impacted in communities that may or they may or may not have been a part of. And I think that, that when you look at the collateral damage, when you see something like that, that could have even been so much worse, like, I was interviewing somebody. I have another podcast that I do called Moving Past Murder, which is me, and it's a sort of a mental health and trauma recovery podcast. And I was talking to a woman last night, interviewing her because her niece was murdered. And I remember when she was, but I didn't even know this person. I even asked Tara, I said, do you, do you know this person? Because she just signed up and wanted to interview with me. I have no idea who she is. And I thought she was for our podcast, but. I noticed on the form that she filled out, much like the form you filled out for this podcast, there was, you know, the murder of the niece and it was July 26th. And then it said, and on 731, he murdered the mother and father. And I thought to myself, oh, that must be a typo. Like it just literally just passed it over. And as I'm talking to her, I I told, I admitted that to her because she told me the story that this boyfriend who was a narcissist. Murdered her niece, and then many days later, after he was pretending like to feign, you know, calling her grandmother and and calling her family. Oh, have you seen her? Have you done this? Not finally, it appeared that he was confronted by his parents, his mother, his own mother, who who I think started putting two to two together, and he murdered her. And then the father came down in the room and had seen it, and then he was murdered too. And he actually murdered the dog, and they found the dog dying with the dad because he loved the dad so the dog had gone into the room and tara's going to break down in a second because it's (laughs) well
2: i'm like why are you even saying this right now collier you could just leave that part out of the conversation But but
0: but my point is is that is is you have all of this that he 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 had ended the life of his girlfriend but he went on and he committed he murdered his own parents, which then had this whole other ripple effect yeah. of his family. Now his brothers and sisters, their friends, their families, the, the, you know, he actually tried to kill another dog, which survived and went to an amazing home and all this, like there was all this collateral damage that ended up happening because of this. And so I think you look at something like that I and mean, then you look at your case, right? And this is me with my rose colored glasses, but you go, it didn't become that that there was a point where it's just stopped, you know, yeah. they, it, it, you know, call it just amateur, <laughs> amateur night for for the, our our criminal friends or whatever it is, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those things that just sort of could have been so much worse. And I think you just kind of have to take that and go, yeah, you know?
1: Well, yeah. Cool. And, and I coming from it, having a sense of humor, I'm very grateful for. Yeah. Like, I, I, like two things that happened. These are, this is not relevant to what you were saying, but just having a sense of humor about it. That's what I'm, I'm talking about. When they pulled up, they finally found me and I thought, okay, I I guess I'm not dying. I guess that this is whatever, however I was shot is not going to kill me. And so 45 minutes later, when they pulled up, I realized, uh, I feel like this is okay to say on your show. I was wearing a cock ring because we were going to go out and um,
2: bless. Uh,
1: have some fun later after my friend got out of his play, oh, and we were going to go get drinks. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so embarrassed that they were going to find this on me that I pointed, I pointed to one direction and I said, look over there for evidence. And when I, when I when they all looked over there, I took off the cock ring and threw it in the other direction. And one of them saw me and said, oh, dude, I go, no, no, leave it, leave it. And the guy goes, dude, I've got one, too. It's totally cool. <laughs> but they kept the cock ring for evidence.
2: Did you ask for it back?
1: I got it back.
2: God bless. Yes, I never got anything back from the police, but really? that would be something. I'd be like, "Hey, just to fuck with them too." You know what I mean? You're, you're <laughs> caught, to you're, see.
0: You're, you wanted your
1: cock ring back, Tara? Yeah,
2: yeah. If if I had one, you know, I'd be like, "Hey, you know, I really want that. That was really important to me. That <laughs> my was grandmother
1: like- gave it to me." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the other funny thing that that happened was um, the Jenny Jones show said bring anything that you can to show to like embellish, you know, the case and stuff. So they said, uh, bring, if you have x-rays or anything like that, well, I brought an x-ray of my torso and I didn't realize it until I got home because they showed it on national TV, but on the x-ray of the torso, all of my junk was pressed against the glass and you can't see it that well because it's (laughs) see-through. so it's like kind of a ghost image and then when I got home I was like oh my god this was on national TV
0: that's so funny
2: I love that I honestly I'm the type of person that I don't find like I won't get like embarrassed about that stuff at all I would just be like oh my gosh my parents are probably like mortified right now and I'm just (laughs) laughing because of their reaction (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of that stuff. I when I when I called 911, apparently my friends all made fun of me because the first thing I said was hi. Uh,
2: <laughs> said, Did you ask them how they were doing? What's that? Did you ask them how they were doing?
1: I did not. I said, oh, okay. they, they said, operator 154, 911 operator 154, how can I help you? And I said, hi, I've been shot.
0: Oh, God, Buzz. Oh, my God. Yeah. I feel so. like that's something I would do too, though. I'd be like, hi, how are you? So yeah. here's, my, here's what's happened. <laughs> Hope you're having a yeah. day. By the way, sorry to bother you, but, but uh, I've been shot. I'm in the Ninth Ward. I have no idea where it is. I hear a canal
1: and some. I hear there's bodies found all the time. Why isn't this under surveillance?
0: Oh, my God. I mean, just what a what a shit show, man. You know, I'm so glad that we can have uh, a, a sense of humor about this because we're all, I always tell Tara and, and all our guests, I say, you know, we're all a part of a squad that no one wants to really be a part of. We're yeah. All part of the survivor squad.
1: <laughs> it's true, man. Like, I know you guys know, but once once something like this happens to any of us, your safety bubble is gone forever. Yeah. And you, all that you take for granted for being safe, you can't take for granted anymore. You now you're always on, you're always on the lookout. You're always, there's always, you have to look for exits. You don't trust people walking behind you. And nobody knows about that. It's yeah. the, if you know, you know, part. It, yeah. Once that happens, then you're indoctrinated.
2: Yeah. Yes you are. That's wow. So, yeah. Well,
1: on that note. I'm on I'm on Instagram. I'm not that active. I'm on Facebook, also not that active, but I'm on Facebook and um uh I watch a lot of TikTok.
0: Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Well, we're, well we we we're active on the TikTok, that's for sure.
1: You yes. guys have been great.
0: Thank you so much. This has been a very fun episode. I'm, I'm not going to lie.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I love today. And I'm appreciative that you're a dog walker. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't put her in the cage.
1: Oh, do <laughs> you want to see my dog? Yes, yes. please. Oh, this is Birdie Bot. She's been so good. Normally, when I'm talking on the phone or something, she barks. But, uh, hey, baby girl.
0: Hi, see hi. Bart. Hi. <laughs>
1: She's so cute. Look at that. She's a mix of Pug and Brussels Griffon and her I name was, is Birdie Botts.
2: I was about to say, she looks like she's part Brussels. Yeah. Yeah. Most
1: people don't get that.
2: Well, I used to work. Uh, I used to be a dog groomer and work in the industry. And I even sold dogs at a time at a pet store. But that was before people knew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. you right.
2: Yeah. So.
1: Oh,
2: that's
1: I wonderful. yeah Aww. yeah. do you guys either of you happen to be Harry Potter fans? I am Her name is Bertie Botts every flavored beans.
2: Oh, I love that. I was like, honestly, my next dog I kind of want to name Parvati um, after, you know, the twin girl, the sisters
1: the, in Harry Potter? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh.
2: Um. Oh, and also, it's like also um, like this Indian god too. But I was like, oh, Harry Potter.
1: That's a cool name,
2: right? It is like the goddess of like nurture and like just nice and gentle. <laughs>
1: oh, your energy's so good. That's great. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you.
2: Well, I hope you could come to the meetup. It's going to be on the twenty second. Where is it? um so i think we're gonna do it in woodland hills but i'm still like working on a location
1: okay well if i can make it i'd love to that sounds really great
2: yeah there will be other survivors there lenora will be there and um food and stuff yeah be fun
1: cool well please keep me abreast yeah, yeah, we will,
0: will. For, we will for sure. Um, John, thank you so much, man. This was uh this is so funny. I I am gonna say one thing. You know, I worked for years with the crew and everyone was a Harry Potter fan. And I've never seen a movie, I've never read a book, I know nothing about it. So and they would all like wear their their they would call me a muggle and they would all they would all where their little houses are like Gryffindor or whatever, Slytherin. I think I, now I know the, at least these names. Sort of, <laughs> they said to me. And so every time they would say something I didn't understand, I would look at everyone and go, is this a Hogwarts thing? And everybody would die every time I said it. They just thought it was the funniest thing. And I'm like, I'm glad you guys get a kick out of it because I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Do you happen to know what house you're in now?
0: They told me um, that I was. So there was what? There's what? There's Hufflepuff. There's Gryffindor. There's the Slytherin. And,
2: and Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. And
0: Ravenclaw. Oh. I think like Hufflepuff yeah. maybe, but I don't yeah. know. Okay. Hey,
2: okay. I have a different theory for you because I've know. gone through this know. a lot in my head. <laughs> So I thought I was originally Hufflepuff, but because of our story and Gryffindor is like bravery and stuff, and we would be the ones that are like the whistleblowers and whatnot. I think we would be in Gryffindor.
0: Yeah, no. I think that's what it was. Yeah, I don't know, but they that
2: makes
1: sense. But your guys are both very clever too. You couldn't run a podcast without being clever. So that so tells Ravenclaw. Me Ravenclaw, yeah, very yeah. <laughs> <You're> good.
2: <laughs> I just finished all the books this past year, too, again, on Audible.
1: aren't they great?
2: They're so great, and I just it's so different from like the show too
1: yeah they're they're much richer than the movies,
2: yeah, I agree.
0: I'll take your word for it
2: <laughs> man. I can't believe what just transpired in that interview.
0: <laughs> I mean, his story is his story is so wild. And just the fact that he can just have such a good sense of humor about it. I mean, I i, I can't say that I wouldn't be apoplectic over it. I mean, I just.
2: Uh. Wait, 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 wait. What's ap- ap- I- apoplectic? I can't even say it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Apople- apoplectic. Apoplectic is being like overcome with anger and And, you know, I'm here to, I'm here for the vocabulary of our audience to expand the vocabulary of our audience. But yes, Yes. apoplectic is being, apoplectic is being overcome with anger or rage. (laughs) My father was very apoplectic.
2: (laughs) And I'm here for you to bring me those words so I can adapt my vocabulary as well.
0: (laughs) I I love this. We are expanding the lexicon of our audience. That is fantastic. Uh, But yeah, no, John (laughs) is so great. Like John is just great. He's just got such a great Sense of humor, but what a scary story. But thank God that these criminals were just, <laughs> I mean, it's just... anyways. I mean, I really hope that John can find that Jenny Jones so show footage. We'll have to have him back on the program. But if you guys are curious, we will have links to all of John's info in the show notes of today's episode. So you guys can check him out.
2: Yeah. And thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry.
2: And this is the Survivor Squad.
0: We'll see you guys. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.